Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Miles Davis once said, time isn't the main thing, it's the only thing. But in music, what determines time? Beyond tempo, or whether something's fast or slow, there's an underlying system of time. It's called meter, or time signature. Whether you know anything about music, I think you'll find today's episode a revelation. Because if 4-4 is how most people think, we're going outside the space-time continuum. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the best song in an odd time signature? That's the age-old question. Let's start with what we're not going to talk about. Much of popular music is in the time signature 4-4. Yes. That is, in one measure of music, there are four quarter notes. Yes. Like this. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. In elementary school, when we're learning how to play the recorder, one, two, three, four, one. We're learning two. the vocabulary of music that is generally four quarter notes. Yes. It's so prevalent because it's easy. It's easy to play, it's easy to dance to. We're all just so familiar with four, four. Mm -hmm. From one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, four. That one's for you, Eric. Or one, two, three, four. Different styles, different genres, different tempos, but all four quarter notes. In fact, it's estimated that more than 80% of pop songs are in 4-4. Is that right? 80%. But in this episode, <laughs> we're interested in songs outside of 4-4. Yes. Songs that have a meter that maybe you've never noticed is different, but perhaps you've intuitively sensed something was different or even odd, right? Absolutely. So talk to us about today's episode. Today's episode is so interesting because every odd time signature song becomes whether or not it's close to 4-4 for me, meaning how well did they disguise it 
to the average listener so that the average listener doesn't notice anything different. Yes. And that, to me, is the genius of odd time signatures. Doing odd time signatures for odd time signatures' sake, just math rock, doesn't really do anything Doesn't for excite me. me. Doesn't do it. And you're right. There are some musicians, there are some composers who are intentionally odd. Yep. That's, That's the, the whole shtick. And it's generally there's an insane drummer at the at the meat of that band right it because to play in these odd time signatures you sort of have to have a different view of the world like it's a different whole system yes because whenever i play it's in, true. in an odd time signature a lot of the time i'm counting yes. in my head like i'm trying to keep up i don't intuit it yes. i don't feel playing in seven because i don't play in seven that often yes but if i play certain songs in seven where the composer or the songwriter has manufactured this song to feel like 4-4 and to trick the ear into feeling so normal, that's what turns me on. I agree with you. The songs where you don't notice it and it helps to propel the story and create the mood, but it doesn't... Take it away. It take, doesn't, doesn't yeah. take it away. It doesn't become the focus. Because when I hear an odd time signature song, the first thing I do is start counting in my head. Yes. One, two, where's the, what, there's the downbeat. Okay, so, and, and it's it becomes, I've missed, I've missed all the lyrics. I've missed what chords they're playing. I've missed the melody. All I'm hearing is, boy, that's not normal. A lot of this stuff makes me feel uneasy in yes. some weird way. Because this is somewhat esoteric, this discussion about meter and time signature, we want to keep it super interesting for our listeners. Yes. When we first started talking about this episode, Clint, I told you that when I was learning how to play guitar, I tried to play Sweet Baby James by mm -hmm. James Taylor, and I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't strum to that song. Yeah. It was only when I realized that the song was actually in 3-4 or 6-8, however he counted it, that I realized I needed to strum differently. Yep, your right hand needed to change. The right hand needed to change. One, two, three, 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 one, two, three. So let's start with 3-4. Love it. 3-4 is often called waltz time. Here's a famous waltz song, Edelweiss. Oh yeah, classic. It's estimated that less than 10% of songs in popular music are 3-4. Quite rare, but still also quite familiar at the same time. My favorite time signature is 6-8, or songs with six beats per measure. It's similar to 3-4, but where 3-4 generally has the emphasis on the first beat. In other words, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. Six, eight is more mellifluous somehow. Yeah. Where the emphasis is generally on the first and fourth beats of each measure, like this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. It just feels better to me than 3-4. Yeah, it's less herky-jerky. Yeah. One of the most epic stadium rock songs of all time, surprisingly, is in 6-8. What? What song? We Are the Champions. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? And there's the genius. You don't, you don't notice it. You don't notice it. One, two, three, four, five, six. 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 But it is. It totally is. You're right. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. 
If you're a frequent listener to this show, you'll know we enjoy going down the Beatles rabbit hole in celebration of their genius. In fact, we have a theme song for our segment we call Rich and Clint Talk About the Beatles. Uh, 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 Rich and Clint Talk About the Beatles. Who would you and I both agree is the true musical genius in the Beatles? I mean, they're all geniuses in their own way, but from a musicianship standpoint, who was the great genius? Paul. Paul. What's interesting is the use of odd time signatures in Beatles songs almost entirely John compositions. That's amazing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's so interesting. So when looking at their catalog, consider a few examples. Norwegian Wood, 6-8. Six, eight. Six, eight. This boy, another Johnson. Oh, the harmonies on that too. One, two, three, four, five, six. 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 One, two, three, four, we can work it out as a perfect illustration of that dichotomy where Paul is quite literally saying in 4-4, four, four, we can work it out. We one, two, work it three, four. One, two, three, four. And then John comes in with the edgy, life is very short. Life is very short. And adds a measure of 3-4. Yeah. Fussing and fighting, my Classic. Another John song. You've got to hide your love away. Six, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Turn my face to the wall. All You Need Is Love, a John song. The meter is all over the place. The opening French national anthem is in 4-4. Four, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. But then it's 7-4 for two bars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One bar of eight, four, and one more bar of seven, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And the chorus is four, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Except last measure, which is a measure of six. One, two, <laughs> three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, one. How many times have you heard the song and never realized how complicated the time signature was? Right. It because you're just you know the song so well that it just feels natural. It just feels and natural. there's a case that it just feels natural. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, maybe John's most iconic song from Sgt. Pepper, uses six eight in the verses. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then four four in the choruses. One, two, three, four, one, two, three. Another of John's songs from Pepper, Good Morning, Good Morning. Each line in the verse has a different time signature. The first line has 10 beats. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The second line has twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. The third has nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And the fourth has fourteen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, one. That was a bear to learn. When we did the select sessions. Yeah. That was so so hard to wrap my head around. And yeah. you almost have to like just feel it. Yeah, right? you can't. You have to forget about counting if you're going to be able to play it. Because when it's that complex, you just have to turn your mind off. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, one. How about Strawberry Fields Forever? Another classic John song. The seventh bar of the verse is two four. And then the ninth bar is three four. One, two, three, four. One, two, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, one. I mean, Happiness is a Warm Gun uses a total of five different time signatures. Wow. Acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand Like a lizard on a windowpane The man in the crowd with the multi- But it's so fascinating to me that when you look at the vast majority of Beatles songs not in 4-4, in other words, in an odd time signature, they're generally John Lennon contributions. Mind blown. Mind blown. I get it though. It does sort of fit the brand, like it that he's. It, it's it, a little edgy. It's a little edgy. It's yeah, but to see it on paper like that is amazing. And it's not that Paul couldn't think in those terms because "Oh Darling" is twelve eight. Yep. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. But it. I wonder if. Because Paul was more in touch with what the people wanted, <laughs> where John was like, came with an F the man sort of energy, whereas Paul's sort of a people pleaser in a way. Yes. He wants you to be able to dance. Whereas John is like, I don't want them to I, dance. I, I, I don't, don't care what don't they care. think. It's not for them. It's, it's for not me. for them. It's for me. <laughs> it's, exactly it's for it. me and Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so, loving this. I'm loving this. That just blew my mind entirely. Take me somewhere else. So I'm taking you away from 3, 4, 6, 8, 12, 8 yep. are fairly common, like we're talking about. Yep. Like you hear it, you, you most people can feel that. Yes. What starts getting wonky is when you enter the realm of these odd number on top where you're getting 7, 8, 7, 4, or 5, 4. That's when you start to feel uneasy. And can I just pause and say, again, when we're talking about the number on top and the number on the, on the bottom. The number on top refers to the number of notes. And when it's a four under, underneath, it's the number of quarter notes. So if it's five, four, it's five quarter notes in to a measure. One measure, yes. So these songs sound different to your ear. And there's no better example in, in the history of music of five, four than John Carpenter's Halloween theme. 
This is a masterpiece in making you feel uneasy. John Carpenter wrote and directed Halloween, but he also wrote the score. So that's an amazing feature that I didn't understand. The only other person I know who does that is our friend Andy Mitten, who has released four horror movies now. And And he composes the music. And he composes the music. He writes, directs, edits, and composes the music. He's he's like the quadruple threat. Halloween 5-4 creates tension, right? Yes. The Mission Impossible theme. Also. Also 5-4. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one. And clearly done to create to tension. To create tension. And suspense. And suspense. And in the case of Halloween, even the intervals create suspense. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but it's a minor six, and a minor six makes you feel scared. But that's the scariest of all intervals. Can you play a minor six on the piano here? Yeah. That's the minor six. Oh, yeah. You've got me freaked out. Right, right? That just immediately makes you uneasy. Unsettled. John Carpenter, here's a quote. I screened the final cut minus sound effects and music for a young executive from 20th Century Fox. She wasn't scared at all. I then became determined to save it with the music. I was the fastest and cheapest I could get. So it was out of necessity that he did this. He did the whole movie for $300,000 budget, which is pretty incredible for considering we still watch it every Halloween. It's still making money. Yeah. Um, and he did it using synthesizers, which is, this is one of the first scores done with synthesizers entirely. And so he even used synthesizers to recreate the piano sounds. He did everything with synthesizers. And even the drums, like there, there's this, in this song, in the Halloween theme, there's this incessant 16th note that just keeps going. Which also creates a little bit of edge. So his whole point is obviously just to create a sense of uneasiness. It's really fascinating that, first of all, that John Carpenter was musically gifted enough to not only do the score, but to think in an odd time signature. Yes. Right? And that you you talked about the minor sixths creating suspension and tension, but also from a compositional standpoint, using an odd time signature to complement the musical choice. Yeah. Right? Really creates a, a sense. And then putting that to picture, right? Because like you said, he screened it for somebody who, with no music and no sound effects, not scary. But once you add that tension from the music into a scene where people are just walking down the street, all of a sudden it makes it, I mean, it makes me uneasy right now because I just watched it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing what music does for video. It makes me think of a previous episode when we talked about the great music uh in film. Yeah. And we talked to Dave Eberts, whose dad was the producer of Chariots of yep. Fire. And he tells a story about how they screened Chariots of Fire for some studio execs without the theme. The theme song. Yeah. And the execs didn't get it. Yep. And they passed on it. Yeah. And he ended up getting a better deal from another studio. And then he ended up winning the Oscar. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly.
Now, where the Halloween theme is a very uneasy feeling in five, my next song is it does have a sense of uneasiness in that it's not 4-4. It doesn't land where you feel like it's supposed to land, but there's a beauty to it where it doesn't feel as odd. And that is a song, When Your Mind's Made Up, by Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Erglova from mm. the Once soundtrack. And this song is absolutely crushing to me. It's completely in 5-4, the whole song. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, the vocal performance given, it is honestly one of the... Glenn Hansard is one of the greatest singers of all time. And his range just keeps getting higher and higher in this song. And it creates this this swell of emotion. And it, there's one point where he hits the highest note of the song. And it, it is such an emotional experience. Because you don't expect him to hit that next note. Like he's already wailing and screaming at the top of his voice. And then he goes like an extra step up. And you're like, whoa! fact that it's in 5-4 creates an emotional response right off the beginning. You, you feel like something is, something's different. Something's not right or something's different. I guess it's not right. It's not that it's not right. It's just different. And It's odd. It's odd. Hey, they, it's not just a clever use of a word. So by the time it gets to this crescendo, it's, it's almost a release somehow. And I just find this to be one of the, the greatest songs ever written, to be honest, because it is in 5-4. Absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't seen the film once, you you guys really need to. Clint and I absolutely love that film. Absolutely. It's just a it's a killer. While we're on 5-4, can I submit one? Yes, please. Sting, who has written some great songs in Odd Time Signatures. Definitely. His song from Ten Summoner's Tales, Seven Days. Yes, right. It's five. I love that album. I think you yeah, do too. Of course. Yes. And it's in 5-4. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one. Seven days was all she knows. Kind of ultimatum knows. She gave to me. She gave to me. Okay, let me give you one more. Yeah. The final one for the 5 4 is probably the most famous song in 5 4. It's called Take Five by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one. Everybody knows this song. Everybody might not know that it's in five, but this song is a jazz standard and is composed by Paul Desmond, who was the saxophonist of the Dave Brubeck Quartet. And he wrote this song on bequest of the drummer who loved playing in 5-4. Huh. And Brubeck was inspired to create an album based on odd time signatures during his state-sponsored 1958 Eurasia trip. So this track was written by Paul Desmond for the drummer who loved soloing in 5-4. So what you'll notice about this song is there's really only two saxophone melodies in this song. The first one... The second one. Uh, 
And then there's this giant drum solo. And that's the song. Hmm. And it's really just a drum-centric jam for this guy because he was so adept at playing in 5-4, which respect because it's not easy to play in 5-4 as a drummer. One, two, three, four, five. 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 But interestingly, drummers often don't think in five, right? They think of three and two. Rhythmically, the five beats to the bar are split unevenly into three plus two. Gamalitaki. One, two, three, one, two. All right, we touched on five, four. Talk to me about seven. Seven is, is amazing. My first choice is Salisbury Hill. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The debut single from Peter Gabriel after he left Genesis. Track one. Incredible. Debut single. He wrote the song about a spiritual experience atop Salisbury Hill. And he said it's about being prepared to lose what you have for what you might get. It's about letting go. Climbing up on Salisbury Hill I could see the city light Wind was blowing, time stood still Eagle flew out of the night First of all, it's produced by Bob Ezrin, and he placed a bunch of restrictions on the session musicians during this recording session. Rather than having a full drum kit, Alan Schwartzberg placed a shaker in one hand and a drumstick in another, which he used to strike a telephone directory. Huh. That's that sound. And for additional rhythmic textures, Larry Fast constructed a fake drum set on his keyboard. So it's this mix of this electronic kit but then he's using a shaker and hitting a telephone pad. So it's a, a very interesting thing. I've also heard stories about Peter Gabriel's record where the, guys, the drummer wasn't allowed to use cymbals. Huh. There's one record where they made, I think he had hi-hats, but he had no cymbals, hmm. which is a, it's just a very cool way to produce a track, to, to, to limit people. Well, there's one song that where Peter Gabriel hired Stuart Copeland to play on the song, but only to play the hi-hat. Nice. Weird, right? That's incredible. Uh, we got the drums covered. Someone else has got yeah, the yeah. drums. Come in and just play the hi-hat. We just need your hi-hat. Yeah. Not like, not, we don't need the hi-hat. We need your hi-hat. Because he had such a way about it. But here's this example in seven is one that feels totally normal. Totally. Like I, most people wouldn't even notice anything about this song. I totally agree. And that is why it's a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. He's tricked all of us into thinking it's 404. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Climbing up on Salisbury Hill I could see the city light I just got to touch on one thing here, Rich. Yeah, yeah. We've been... We've been doing this podcast a while, and one of our friends consistently says, what about Rush? What about, what about Rush? Rush? What about Rush? We need a theme song for What About Rush. We do. <laughs> what about a band called Rush? Well, this is the moment. This is the moment. Because Tom Sawyer, their classic 1981 hit, The Bridge is in seven. And it's what 
makes the song so cool to me. Totally. Great song. Whole song's in 4-4, except when it gets to this bridge. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And that's where the, the Rush prog rock really starts to shine. Yes. So just a little quick bit about Rush. Band started in 68. Debut album came out in 74. March of 74. It wasn't until July that they actually got Neil Peart to join the, 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 the band. And huh. that's when it locked into the power trio. They had yeah. more people before that. Yeah. Um, so the band is Getty Lee on vocals and bass and synthesizers. Uh, Alex Lifeson on guitar and Neil Pert on drums. Power trio, one of the one of the greatest power trios Great. of all time. Great, and Neil Pert is just a legend. Legend, lots of lots of drums. Lots of had drums. all the drums. Had all the drums. <laughs> Surrounded himself with drums. I think they made a name being odd. Yeah, I think the whole thing was odd. Odd on purpose. I think yeah. that's what they were going for. Obviously, stylized. Stylized. Very well said. And finally, my last one is. Possibly the greatest odd time signature song of all time. If this isn't my number one, it's right up there. Money by Pink Floyd. Yep, I knew that's where you were going. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It has to be because whenever this conversation comes up, this is in the running yep. for greatest, period. It just is because, again, it sort of tricks you. Yeah. It feels fairly natural, although you know something's not right. And I think a lot of it comes from the loop yes. at the beginning of the song. Which of the cash is register. The cash register, the coins, the ripping paper. It's a seven sample thing looped. And they did it obviously by cutting tape. And actually, Roger Waters recorded all the sounds. Huh. And they put it together and they used to play to it live. So they, the way they did it in the studio, they they set up the tape with the thing, and they used that as the metronome to play to it. Huh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the engineer pulled it down in the mix, and they just played. And then at some point during the song, and, you know, they're not playing to a click, right. so it's going to vary. And then at some point, he pushes it back up, and it was right in. Wow. And then he pulled it back out. And that's what we hear. It's in there. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Let's just talk about this. I think, for me, it's my favorite album of all time, 1973's Dark Side of the Moon. And this was the first Pink Floyd hit, if you can call it a hit, if they had a hit. This was the hit. This was the only single from the record at least at the time. Now I feel like they play the entire album on classic rock radio. But at the time, this was a, a hit. It, it, it was the only song from Dark Side of the Moon to make an appearance on the Billboard Top 100 list of, of 1973. In 2008, Guitar World magazine listed David Gilmour's solo on Money as number 62 among readers' votes for the greatest 100 guitar solos. Can we pause and listen to David Gilmour's guitar solo? Yes. Man, what crushes me about this guitar solo is... The use of reverb. There's like three guitar parts to it. He double tracked the first one. Meaning he played the exact same thing twice, note for note. That creates this big, huge sound. 
and it's super reverby. Then, for the second one, they pull all the reverb out, and it's the driest, most crispy-sounding guitar thing. You know, that part. And then for the, the third guitar part, they ramp it back up with all the reverb, but they used a machine that doubles it. So he didn't play it twice. They used a doubling machine. The other thing, have you ever heard of the demo to this song? No. This is the most unhip thing you've heard. It's like the most, I think Roger Waters calls it the most English thing. But let's just hear, hear a quick second. Is of it, it in seven still? Yeah, it's in seven. It's just the driest, most, you'll hear. It's just hilarious what it became based on this demo. Money, I agree with you. Money has to be... It's in the tops. It's in the tops. Maybe my favorite, and I think my nominee for the greatest odd time signature, Paul Simon's Have a Good Time. It's in 7-4. Okay. It's so slinky. I don't even know it. What's it on? It's from Still Crazy After All These Years. Okay. Which itself is in a time, odd time signature. Right. One, two, three. You know, it'd be really good to talk to a drummer on this topic. I agree. Because the drummer is the glue that holds everything together when playing in 4-4, but especially when you're playing in an odd time signature. Yeah, let's call the master himself. Russ Lawton? Russ Lawton from the Trey Anastasio Band. Let's do it. Hello? This is Clinton Rich from the Age Old Question. We just want to ask you a quick question. Perfect timing, actually. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and you're heading to New York City for what are you What are you doing? We're doing like this after show, you know, the fish after show, which I don't do many of those, but uh, we're doing it with Lamp with Scott Oh, right. Cool. And Raymond. Nice. Well, today we're talking about odd time signatures, and we really wanted to get a drummer's perspective on this. Um, I consider you like such a groove-oriented, uh, like just rock drummer that I want to know your, your opinion about playing in odd time signatures. 
I'm practicing one now. I'm just preparing for some tab stuff, and it's Ghost of the Forest. That song. I don't know if you know that song. Yeah. Ghost from Trey. It's in seven. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 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 I know you know that you are me, and I am you. organic you know you can get into some fusion stuff and it's like you know kind of like it's a little stiffer or just it's very musical but what i have to practice with it is because you do a fill and sometimes you're going to make sure you're not going back into four right <laughs> or there's a vocal thing which is incredible but if you listen to it it throws you off a little bit so i have yeah i was helping help, almost have to plow through it a little bit That's but not used to it but in the beginning it was like ah. and you can listen while you Sometimes if I'm not feeling comfortable, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, I don't do right to seven. Right. You kind of break it into break it in, into that. But uh, money by Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink Floyd's in seven, seven, yep. four, which is pretty obvious one. So there's some that like, oh, that's an odd time signature. Tell me about Sole Monday, which is your duo with Ray Paczkowski. How much odd time signature stuff do you guys do? Not too much. I mean, we have this song off the last album, Strut. It's like more like a three, like okay. a three-eight kind of thing, I guess you would call it. Cool. You know which one I think about with you is the beginning of White Room. By Cream. Right, that's in five. That's yeah. in five. You and I used to play that song all the time. And that's weird. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. And then it goes to four, four. Like this. One, two, But it's for, you know how natural it is. It's yeah. not like oh, this is weird. Right. Yeah, it's very organic. It's you're not counting that one. You're just you just know the song so well. It's like that's just how it goes. Whereas yeah. other songs are like uh, hanging on for dear life. I feel like. Yeah, you're counting, or like you know that you know everybody's that some of that dead stuff. You know, is uh, estimated profit. Don't. It's in seven. Yeah. But it's really musical. Yeah. You know, that's the difference, I guess, for me. I used to mess it up, but. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So if you were to pick, what would be your favorite? I would say for like seven, eight, probably that one I'm playing now with Trey, the Ghost of the Forest. I love that song. It's got a lot of emotional content. We talked about how an odd time signature shouldn't get in the way of the lyric or the emotion of the song. So like the more natural it feels. The more genius it is. The more genius it is. And the more you stay in the song as opposed to start counting. And so. Exactly. Yeah. 
It's hard to get the emotion across in an odd time signature. I guess the song I never played it, but my favorite song and I've been wanting to do six eight, borrowing some kind of African groove, is that song "Hot Lanta" by the Almond Brothers off the Fillmore album. Oh yeah. I've been dying to do that song for years. Oh man. That's how I always distinguish because like you can do the African, you know, it's pretty Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so great, Russ. Nice, man. Well, whatever, man. You are the best. Thanks for giving us your time. We love talking uh, to you, Russ. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll uh, have have fun at the show tonight, and I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. All right, brother. Awesome. Thanks, Russ. (laughs) Okay, guys. See See you later, buddy. He's awesome. And just listening to him sing the drums. Yeah, totally. Right. That's and and. He is a very musical dude. I mean, he writes great songs. He, you know, he he does it all. And most people don't even know that that he sings and writes all his own tunes. And yeah, he's a very musical dude. Clint, let's go to the comments. Let's go. Let's go to the comments. Okay, from Lorraine in England. Yeah. Hey, Rich and Clint, just driving home, and Love Shack was on the radio. Surely that's a contender for best sing along. Death. <laughs> it has to be. Especially the Tin Roof. Tin Roof. Rusty. Is she saying? Yes. Lorraine goes on. I was also thinking that not only might there be an age generational variable, but also geographical. Here in the UK over the years, in our village, I would say amongst the most popular were. The Proclaimers, I'm going to be uh, 500 miles. Yep, yep. Dexy's Midnight Runners, Come on Eileen. Yep. And Soft Cell, Tainted Love. Heck yeah. Three bangers. Those are three bangers. Thanks, Lorraine. <laughs> That's awesome. How about some Mondo Green submissions? Okay. And if you're just joining us, we love to celebrate Mondo Greens. These are misheard lyrics. From Peter L., he says, Bob Seger's Hollywood Nights, She Had All of Us Killed. Where is it? Where is it? She had all of us killed. From Paul R. Everyone stares as you drift past the flowers. That girl so incredibly high. I definitely thought that's what it was for a long time. Everyone smiles as you drift past the flowers. That girl so incredibly high. We've talked about our favorite monogreen from that song, but it's good to get another one. How about another great country pun? Oh, yes. From Serena, who writes in to tell us about a song by Banjo and Sullivan. I'm home getting hammered while she's out getting nailed. Oh, God, that's good. Oh, my Isn't God. Isn't that good? That might be the best one. That I was know, I know. Mic drop, Serena. Oh, God. So what is the point of all this, Clint? Talking about songs outside of 4-4. Our point is... Do we have a point? Yeah. Yes. The point is to hopefully make you think about this music in a slightly different way more conscious way to hear nuances about how songs were crafted 
how time signature is actually a songwriting choice, a component of the storytelling, as important maybe as the chord changes, maybe even the lyrics and melody. Think of the example you gave of Peter Gabriel's Salisbury Hill in 7-4. I think the time signature contributes to that sense of disconnection or dislocation absolutely that he's trying to express himself. absolutely and the the john carpenter halloween he's creating an entire mood based off of the odd times yes favorite song outside of four four i'm gonna say i'm gonna say my favorite song yeah is when your mind's made up by glenn hanser and i'm gonna say the best use of an odd time signature is halloween by john carpenter love it all right, I'm going with Have a Good Time by Paul Simon in 7-4. Love it. Did we, did we do it? I think we did it. <laughs> I think we did it. I think we did it. And if you have any suggestions of odd time signatures that we missed, please let us know. And there is plenty, and please let us know. Please take a moment to like, follow, subscribe, share. This is how we're going to continue to grow our listenership and be able to bring you more age-old questions please and thank you. We hope you had a good time, as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah, No hating. No hating. Also, if you're digging the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash theageoldquestion and consider becoming a part of our age-old question family. With your support, we'll be able to answer many more age-old questions. Thanks. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.